Nessa presents the Journey to Diagnosis series, Diagnostic Stories and Struggles from Autoimmune Encephalitis Patients. On this episode, HESA Executive Director Susan Foley interviews Maddie Bowie, who has a form of autoimmune encephalitis called Hashimoto's encephalopathy. My name is Susan Foley, co-founder and executive director of HESA, a nonprofit that was formed for awareness, research, and support of people with autoimmune encephalitis. Today, we will be interviewing a young lady that was diagnosed during her teenage years with autoimmune encephalitis. Her name is Maddie Bomey. We will discuss the journey and struggle of getting her diagnosis and treatments. Good afternoon, Maddie. We really appreciate that you are willing to share your experience with us. Yes, of course. I'm always happy to share. (laughs) Well, you've been a great advocate, that's for sure. Um, Maddie also is vice president of our nonprofit, HESA. So we are really um, excited to have her, and we're really excited to have her in HESA also. So, Maddie, let's start out with, how old were you when you were first diagnosed? Um, I was 16 years old. You're 16. How, how long were you sick before that? Um, so my, I would say it took about six months, like half a year ish, roughly, um, give or take. I don't remember exactly. Um, but I feel like that is very fortunate because a lot of people go, I know with uh, Hashimoto's encephalopathy specifically, a lot of people go several years um, before they get a diagnosis or figure out what's going on. Yeah, actually six months is rather quick. Yeah. To get a diagnosis. <laughs> I feel so uh, lucky. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. if you don't get that treatment right away, it just can cause so much damage. Yes. Um, so what did you go through to get that diagnosis? What was your journey? Like? <laughs> um, yeah, like most people with HE, um, I went to several different doctors trying to figure out what was going on with me. Um, basically, like what had happened as I started to um, have these really weird seizure-like episodes where I would lose the ability to like walk and talk. Um, and they kept getting progressively worse and um, more severe. And um, I started to have more issues uh, like extreme insomnia um, and like memory problems, um, issues in school. Um, at one point, like I, I couldn't read, like I had to cover up text in order to be able to read because my brain didn't focus, like things I had never struggled with before. Um, And so it was kind of like, you know, what's going on? Why? (laughs) Why are all these things happening? Um, Yeah, I went to several different neurologists. Um, I got a lot of the well, she's a teenager, and she's stressed, and she's a high achiever, and they just put so much pressure on themselves. And I, I basically got tired of going to the doctor and just getting no answers. And I wanted to give up. Um, but my wonderful mother, which um, I know that you got to meet her too. And she <laughs> shared a little bit of her perspective on my story. Um, she, the 
neurologist that diagnosed me, um, I did not want to go to the appointment and she made me go. Uh, so I definitely owe her <laughs> Good for that mom. big time. Cause you, yeah, I, if I, uh, if she would have just let me not go, um, because I was just sick and tired of, of going to appointments, uh, I never would have been diagnosed. So I, um, yeah, it was a lot of, it was just, uh, nobody really could figure out and, um, yeah, it was, you know, she's stressed, uh, it's psychiatric, it's, you know, um, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, then this doctor was able to, uh, figure out, uh, he's like, yeah, you have Hashimoto's encephalopathy and you need to like, get to the hospital immediately. And we're going to start you on treatment and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I didn't know what that was. I had never heard of encephalopathy or encephalitis. Um, so I was really excited to have an answer. Um, and then you go on Google and you Google what encephalitis is and you're like, Oh, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> so yeah, yeah by the time you were by the time you were diagnosed, at least there was some information on Google. <laughs> yes, more you know, than when you were diagnosed. Yeah. yeah, compared to us old ones that uh, went on there <laughs> and uh, tried to Google it. Um, Maddie, what did your doctor do to finally get an answer and and diagnose you? What what kind of tests did he do? Yeah. So I, um, it was obviously like, uh, Hashimoto's encephalopathy is a diagnosis of exclusion. So they obviously ruled out like tumors, cancer, you know, um, whatever else it could possibly be. Um, we ruled out psychiatric stuff. You know, I had a lot of psychological testing and that kind of thing. And the therapists were like, this is a physical problem. This is not a psychiatric problem. Um, the one, I believe it was like the thing that gave him a clue as to the direction of diagnosis is he, um, tested like my TPO and TG antibodies and they were extremely elevated. Um, not like in the thousands or whatever, but they were, I think if I remember correctly, like the highest they've ever been were in like the eight hundreds or something something crazy like that. Um, just not normal. And I wasn't having, you know, thyroid symptoms. I was having all these neurological symptoms. So it was kind of like, it's a case diagnosis. So it was kind of like two plus two equals four. Um, you know, like I did, so like some EEGs, sleep studies, um, the sleep studies that I had done, uh, basically showed like, I don't go into stage three or four sleep, which was also another kind of abnormality that was like, there's something, you know, neurological going on. Um, yeah. And I think I had MRI, my MRI was normal. I had, I can't, I had some special type of scan that kind of helped. That was kind of like abnormal too. Um, that I don't remember specifically what it was called, but basically based on all these pieces of evidence, he said, I think you have Hashimoto's encephalopathy. So. And, and I'm skipping ahead here, but recent, <laughs> recently you also had a PET scan done, right? 
Yes. Um, so yeah, that was something that was not even, so it was 2014 when I was diagnosed. Um, that's like the weird, the cool and not so cool thing, uh, about being diagnosed is that, um, like I live in a time where the disease is in existence, uh, but the research is not super great on it. So as research has progressed, as I've been diagnosed, um, they've been finding, you know, PET scan of the brain can be useful. And so that's something uh, very recently that I had done last year. Um, And that was helpful too in um, solidifying like, yes, this is what's going on um, and showing like hypometabolism and, and things like that um to again confirm diagnosis so yeah I think that's going to become I hope anyway a big part of diagnosing patients yeah um having a pet scan done it's just so hard to get insurance to pay for it that's the number one thing I think doctors hesitate that's just my opinion um so Maddie you know, how did you feel during this time? What were your personal feelings? Um, uh, <laughs> I just like, it's hard um, to go through a major medical um, thing at a very young age. Um, it was really hard to watch all of my classmates kind of go about their lives while I was um, in the middle of kind of dealing with the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life, Um, you know, trying to figure out what was going on um, because of these seizure-like events that I was having and the difficulties I was having in school. I was not in school um, very often. And ever since I've been sick, I, I haven't been able to attend school full time. I've tried several times, but I physically um, and mentally cannot handle it. Uh, So that's frustrating as well. um, Because every, you know, I'm young and everybody my age is out um, going and living their lives and having careers and starting families. Um, And I am, I I feel sort of like left in the dust. (laughs) Like everybody, uh, the world kind of goes on without you. and not anybody's fault, uh, but when you're not at school, people just kind of forget about you um, and, you know, not being in good shape and going to doctor's appointments and, and things like that. Um, they just kind of quit, you know, asking me to hang out because I often couldn't hang out. Um, and so you just, that, it's very lonely. <laughs> that it's has to lonely. be so hard. I can't imagine being a teenage girl and not only being sick, that's one thing, but feeling like you don't belong with the rest of your friends anymore, or that the friends are, like you said, you're, um, they're going on and doing the things that teenagers do and you're stuck and you're not able to join them. I, I just feel sick about that for anybody that's a, you know, goes through a diagnosis yeah. process of any type of rare disease when they're teenagers. It's just a rough 
situation. How old are you now, Maddie? Not to. <laughs> yeah, I just turned 24 um, a few months ago. So um, I have been dealing with this for seven, almost eight years, uh, which is like, holy cow, it's been that long. <laughs> um, Feels like but, forever, hey? Yeah, even for, um, I still deal with that um, in terms of, like I said, uh, like a, a, what a normal 24 year old is doing right now, having a career or starting a family or things like that. Um, I still live at home with my parents because um, I still deal with the, the seizure like spells and um, I'm in the middle of some treatment right now too. Um, so I'm, I'm unable to live on my own. Um, I have never been able to work full time. Um, so it, I have I don't know if I can support myself on my own. Um, just a lot of, I don't know, it's, it's been stressing me out recently. Um, just trying to figure out, you know, like how, how am I going to support myself? How am, you know, just how am I going to do life? Because it's affected me at such a young age, you know, like a lot of people, you know, if they develop health issues down the road, they're already married. So they have a spouse to support them or, you know, they already, they've lived on their own. They have a house, they have had a career. Um, so it's just a lot of, a lot of things that normal 24 year olds don't have to worry about. <laughs> well, so. you're, you're at a very vulnerable age where, you know, there's such a yeah. change in people's lives as they become an adult that in fact that brings up the other subject uh, I was going to ask you is was there an issue going from pediatric care to adult care for an encephalitis um, how did that go yeah so <laughs> that was another um, unforeseen challenge of being diagnosed with Hashimoto's encephalopathy. Um, cause as you know, it's a somewhat controversial diagnosis. Um, so the first adult, uh, neurologist I went to see, he was like, Oh, like, I don't use those drugs that way. Like we're going to do it my way. Um, and not, he basically like didn't follow the the protocol um, for autoimmune encephalitis, and I ended up uh, relapsing <laughs> and back at the children's hospital because I my adult neurologist would just was like mm, I can't help you, so <laughs> um, which is disappointing. And um, then my second neurologist uh, just didn't agree with the diagnosis. Um, he felt that I had functional functional neurological disorder and slowly wanted to wean me off of all my medications. <laughs> so, um, and I know that's a, that's a, um, something that's often thrown around too with, with HE is the functional neurological disorder. Um, and it's not that I wasn't, you know, open to the fact that it could be something else, but it was more or less like, and I'm a very logical person. So I process things logically and, you know, I've had these treatments and they've, they're the thing that's given me my life back. So he wants to take away the things that have given me some of my life back. And in my logical brain, I'm like, I don't, 
I don't agree with functional neurological disorder because I, I respond to treatment. I've had treatment and it's helped me. So, um, that had to be so scary. I mean, when yeah, someone takes away something that's been working, it's very scary. Um, and he basically started to, I'm on prednisone. Um, and he started to taper me on my prednisone. Um, and as I went down on my prednisone, I started to have, um, run into <laughs> problems. Um, my insomnia got, uh, significantly worse. Um, and I started to have like these seizure like events, um, happen again, which those were my first symptoms when I, before I was diagnosed. Um, but I was just told that I need to push through it and try harder. Um, which just in my mind, I was like, I, I was doing everything that I could to, um, try to get off of my steroids and to try to do what my doctor was telling me and it wasn't working. Um, I don't know anybody that wants to be on steroids. No, I mean, that's that what isn't I was trying to that... tell him too, is I'm like, I want off of these drugs. Like I sincerely want off of this, this medication, but I'm, I, I don't use the word can't likely, but I said lightly, sorry, <laughs> but I told them, I'm like, I can't get off of them. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm having more insomnia, like my insomnia is getting worse. I'm having these seizure like events. Like these were my first symptoms. Like I, something isn't right. <laughs> so, um, I eventually just, um, basically broke up with my, <laughs> my neurologist. Cause obviously I was not having luck following his, um, suggestions to just tough it out and keep going and keep trying. Well, I um, think you were smart to realize that it wasn't going to work and no. not sticking it out any longer than you had to. Well, my insomnia got so bad to the point where I was sleeping. I wasn't sleeping or I was sleeping like two or three hours a night and I was miserable like every single night. And I went like a month trying to, um, live like that. And, um, it just, I eventually was just like, I, I'm not, this is not working. I need to find a better neurologist. Um, and I heard that <laughs> in the, through the grapevine that you did find somebody else. And, yes, um, you are now traveling to New York city to get yeah. treatment from Iowa. Yeah, I was going to say, so I live in Iowa. Um, and basically, I'm just like, you know, what? I'm not messing around anymore. Um, we're going straight to uh, where the experts are, um, where the people that are up to date with research on this disease are. Um, and yeah, I was very fortunate to find a wonderful neurologist who was like, no wonder you can't get off your steroids. And yeah, that makes sense why you can't sleep. Like, someone that speaks my language. Yay. Finally. <laughs> so, um, so basically uh, now I am working with her. Um, she put me on way more aggressive treatment because all ever since I've been an adult, I have not been on enough treatment. Um, basically. So I spent about five years, um, on improper <laughs> treatment, not enough treatment. So there's some, um, obviously 
you know, when your disease isn't being treated right for five years, you're going to have to kind of, we're picking up the pieces right now, <laughs> trying to undo all of the mess um, that's been made. So what are the names of the treatments, Maddie, that she's giving you? Yeah. I mean, so that's very interesting because so many people, um, so many doctors aren't aggressive mm -hmm. to treat. And yes. I think people need to know what some of the treatments are. Yeah. And I feel, I feel very fortunate too, to have a doctor who's not afraid to get aggressive because this disease needs to be treated aggressively. Um, so I, um, I was on, I'm still on steroids, working on tapering off of them. Um, I get IVIG every two weeks. Um, I get Actemra now, or it's also called Tocilzumab. I get that once a month. Um, and then I also am doing Rituximab and I get that every six months. Um, so yeah, the, the goal of adding the Actemra and Rituximab is to um, be able to successfully get off of my steroids. So, and those are, um, those are heavy hitters. Those are definitely heavy hitters. And, yeah. um, I, I just feel that while we both know this, that everybody's treatment plan is different. Everybody reacts different to the drugs. Everybody, um, I myself can get along pretty well with IVIG and Imarin, but not everybody can. And I think just in my own opinion that you going so long without the proper treatment puts you in a whole different category of needing yeah. the heavy <laughs> She, the first appointment that I had with this neurologist, she just said, she told me it's going to be a long and slow process, but we're going to do it together. Like we're, we're in this together. So that was really, um, sweet, but yeah, that's definitely what I am dealing with now is realizing that it's going to be a very slow and steady improvement and not just like, you know, I can pop a pill and make it all better. Um, that's not how it works, unfortunately. So no, not for encephalitis of any type, actually. No, yeah. Maddie, um, how do you think you having this disease affects your family, your mom and dad, your siblings? Yeah, so it definitely, um, yeah, it, it affects the whole family, um, not just me, obviously, and all the, you know, symptoms and stuff I experience, um, but uh I know both of my uh, siblings are, they've seen like a lot of um, traumatic things <laughs> with me. And um, both of my siblings are very, um, they care about me a lot. Um, so that's very hard for them to watch me go through. Um, and yeah, my mom and my dad, obviously, it's hard for them to watch their kids suffer. And I don't know how many times my mom and dad have told me, like, I wish I could trade places with you. I would take it all away from you if I could. Um, yeah, because I no parent wants to see their, their baby suffer. Um, and yeah, just, uh, I know, like, especially for my mom, because she was the one who, um, you know, she, she, 
knew something was wrong with her, her baby. And she, she's seen, uh, she's been there to witness everything. She goes with me to appointments, um, and stuff like that. And so she, I feel out of everyone in our family, she has been the most affected because she's seen the worst, <laughs> um, and that I, there is. So, and, and I think a mom experiencing that with their child is so, so hard. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine that feeling of, uh, especially when you were undiagnosed and knowing there's something wrong and nobody's listening. And yeah, that's, that's the she, worst. <laughs> she um, would always say that her, you know, her mama bear gut just was like, no, something is wrong. And I, I believe in um, that, that parents know, especially the mother, I feel there's a special, special bond with the mother and her children and that they just know that that mama bear gut is um, uh, important. And so um, that instinct, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't, um, I don't know. I, I, I love my mom so much and she means the world to me and I wish I could give her the world for she's, she's just been with me every step of the way. And she's never, you know, all the times that I felt crazy or just felt like, you know, it's all in my head or whatever. She is just like, you're not crazy. It's not in your head, you know? And um yeah Maddie He's do you ever wonderful. do you ever this is probably a really difficult question um but do you ever feel like you just want to give up yeah oh definitely <laughs> I mean I I feel like if you've gone through this disease and haven't felt like that at least once then there is like something <laughs> psychologically <laughs> wrong um because it's very I would not wish any of this, even on my worst enemy. Um, it's very, it's different. Brain diseases are different. Like I, it's, it's a different level. It's a different category. Um, because it's not just like, Oh, you know, my arm is broken. Um, but I can still, you know, I'm still, and people can see a broken arm. Yeah. yeah. And that too, it's, it's invisible. Um, not very many people, understand um what having your brain messed with is like um it's a very unique experience um which is very it's very lonely um it's it's so hard to um I know I've just felt very hopeless at times you know with doctors with with that neurologist who was like you just need to try harder I remember crying to him at one appointment because I was like I I'm not kidding you like I I don't know how to <laughs> explain to you what's going on in my head but I I'm not I can't <laughs> like so um and that's the hard part about having a neuro neurological disease is that you can't express because you can't get those thoughts yeah. organized <laughs> enough to speak yeah. them. And half the time, um, well, I don't, I don't really remember if you've had that, but 
like for me, my words don't come out right. So what I'm thinking and what comes out of my mouth is not the same. So yeah. you have this doctor sitting there and he's looking at you and you're trying to explain how you feel and you just cannot do it. Yeah. And I feel, um, I know there was one doctor who told me like, I couldn't possibly have Hashimoto's encephalopathy because I wouldn't be sitting at this appointment talking to her. I would be in a coma. I and had that once too. Yep. And that's when I was like, all right, well, see ya. Cause anybody that truly, um, understands this disease is that you're not, <laughs> you're not always in a coma. Um, that's the most severe end of the spectrum. Um, but that's not, that's not what encephalitis looks like, um, anymore as we're researching and stuff. And people, I feel like doctors have that very, uh, textbook idea of encephalitis, like coma and you go crazy in three days and blah, blah, blah. But that's not, that's not the case all the time. (laughs) So, and um, and I think another thing they don't understand, Maddie, is that people do relapse. I have had my own neurologist that I had started new, which I think you remember the story, mm -hmm. saying to me that once you are in a sort of a remission, you're never really in a remission, I don't feel, but that um, you stay there. And I'm like, that. And I was in a relapse and I'm like, no, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. And And that's so much that needs. You're working. So the brain itself is such a complex organ. And we, first of all, we have only scratched the surface of our understanding of the brain. Second of all, you're dealing with humans. Everyone is different. Everybody responds differently, especially again with a brain disease not everybody's symptoms are going to be the same. Not everybody is going to respond the same to treatments. Um, and yeah, autoimmune encephalitis, some people, you know, get steroids and they're, you know, cured and it never comes back. And some people have tried every treatment in the book and they still are not doing well. And that's just, that's how it is. I, it's, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just sometimes wish that I feel like doctors sometimes get so wrapped up in the um, textbook side of the disease that they forget about the patient, <laughs> the human the part of studies. the disease. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's not textbooks that define humans, it's humans that define the textbooks. So um, it sometimes it, it frustrates me because I feel like we have sort of lost the human element um in medicine but maddie um do you have a working knowledge of how autoimmune encephalitis works um yes uh mostly because obviously um i'm vice president of hesa so i um And I watch a lot of doctors speak and I am very familiar and up to date with a lot of like the literature and stuff. Um, So yes. um, So (laughs) I've had people say that um, they feel like sometimes I probably know more than 
half of the doctors I've seen, which sometimes I feel that way, but <laughs> just because I've, I've watched so many experts speak about it. And um, I also just have a, I think it's very, a very fascinating disease. So I just have like a, obviously I have a personal interest in it because I have the disease myself, but um, I just find it really interesting. So if, if you were to give a very brief description of what autoimmune encephalitis is, what would you say? Um, basically, autoimmune encephalitis is where one day, for some unknown reason, um, the body mistakenly decides that the brain is, you know, a foreign object or a bad uh, thing, and it starts attacking the brain, um, producing cells against the brain. Um, and then this causes inflammation in the brain, which then causes a lot of neurological and psychiatric symptoms. Yeah, that's you got that just all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's just because if you give anybody the big definition, yeah, <laughs> it's too hard to understand. Yeah, you know? it gets but, a lot more complex than that. But that is it's the body attacks the brain. If you want to put it real, real simple, real basic. <laughs> yeah, so. your immune system is, you know, just decides to attack the brain. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of different autoimmune encephalitis, as we both know, it, you yes. know, it's like an umbrella you know, which uh, we're just one small spoke of that umbrella. But um, we, again, we both know we're probably the rarest form and the least understood and the least researched. And definitely we're trying to change that, um, partly by doing these um, videos yeah. with, <laughs> with people like you. And um, Maddie, if you were going to give people one statement you know how your life is and and what to expect with autoimmune encephalitis um how to handle it what would you say um i would say run for the hills no <laughs> <laughs> some some days i would say yeah. I mean, two, two words um, for my experience with autoimmune encephalitis, and that's, I would say it's changed perspective. Now, to further elaborate on that, um, it will change your perspective. Uh, but it's, some of it is not a choice. Obviously, I can't um, control what my, my body attacking my brain and the symptoms um, and side effects that come with that. Um, but I do have a choice in how I respond and, um, how I continue to go about my life. Um, and I, and I'm not trying to say, you know, well, just everything is all hunky dory and it's great because it's not, <laughs> um, it's really frustrating some days, but, um, the, yeah, you're, it changes your perspective, but it's up to you um, whether that perspective is changed for better or worse. Um, and, and for you, you have found 
I know you want more of a purpose, but it, you found a purpose um, working with other people that have autoimmune encephalitis. And that in itself is fulfilling, I believe, for you. Correct? Yeah. And also <laughs> ju just being able to talk to other people um, with this disease makes you feel less, less lonely and less like, less crazy. <laughs> I agree and, with you. Yeah. Um, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish this upon my, my worst enemy. And so being able to help other people, um, going through this really, um, traumatic experience and, um, difficult disease is so rewarding. I know, you know, that, <laughs> um, yeah, you, I do. you know, <laughs> you, it's, it's, um, my experience with HESA has been really cool because, Basically, like how I got involved is my mom bought your guys's book. Um, and that changed that changed her perspective and understanding of the disease. Um, and, you know, me, me reading the book too. Um, you know, so many things that I was like, why can can I control this? Why am I this way? Um, I, I understood it's not in my control. It's not my fault. Um, and then, yeah, being able to be more involved and help educate doctors and, and help other people um, get diagnosed and get help and get treatment. Um, yeah, it's, it's beyond rewarding. And I, yeah, like I said, I know you know that, but. <laughs> well, in, yes, in my own. Yes, I, I absolutely. It, it has kept me sane. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, that's it what gives I you a purpose in life. It really does. It's, um, um, made all it's kind of like, you know, like I, I can't control all the bad things that have happened in life, but I've been able to like make something good out of it. So it, it doesn't feel like it's, it's a waste of suffering or, um, yeah, I agree. Um, I agree a hundred percent. Well, Maddie, um, as I close, I just want to thank you again for being such a great spokesperson for HESA. You always have been and you always <laughs> will be. And I really appreciate you sitting down with me this afternoon and talking and letting people see what it is like to experience um, having a rare disease. And uh, in this situation, rare disease that there's not a lot known about it where um there needs to be research, but that's another subject. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I agree. <laughs> but I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I feel like uh, we're at the the bottom of the mountain, the autoimmune encephalitis mountain. We're we're going up the mountain, but some days it feels uh, slower than others. So <laughs> I, I definitely, definitely agree. But I want to thank you again. And I want to say, take care. Yes, thank you. It's always, always good to talk to you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Bye, Maddie. Bye. For more information on Hashimoto's encephalopathy, autoimmune encephalitis, or HESA, visit our website at www.hesaonline.info.